Genesis 27, now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son, and he answered him, here I am. And then he said, behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. And now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke this to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. And so Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. And now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now into the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. And then you shall take it to your father that he may eat and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me and and shall seem to be a deceiver to him and shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of goats on his hands and on the smooth of his part of his neck. And then she gave the savory food and the bread, and she prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And so he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, Father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise and sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, Well, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I may eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine, Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. 
Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also made a savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Well, who are you? And so he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. And when Isaac heard, or when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants, with grain and wine, and have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Well, then Isaac said, uh, his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, of the dew of heaven from above, and by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you've become restless that you will break his yoke from your, uh, his neck. And so Esau, I'm sorry, from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from here or from there. And why should I be bereaved also of both of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like these, well, who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Well, it's a long chapter, but it's one story, <clears throat> one passage really. Um, Isaac blesses Jacob. Um, verses 1 through 4 seems reasonable enough. As usual, Isaac wants to send Esau for some of his favorite food. Only this time, he's uh, ready in his old age to, to bless uh, Esau with the blessing that was passed on to him by Abraham. Um, but in verse 5, it's interesting, Rebekah was listening. Um, and she knew things that it appears Isaac was never told. Um, 
some of the uh, things we learn about Rebecca just as we studied through her in the past few weeks. Remember, she was the one that was so willing to serve Abraham's servant uh, above, way above and beyond to go and fetch, what, 200 gallons of water for all of his camels, um, not just to give him a water to drink. Um, she got to hear from Abraham's servant you know, what she was like because Abraham's servant, uh, before they even met, was talking about if whoever it is that, that waters not only me, but also my camels, let her be the one, he said to the Lord. And indeed, she was. And here she is hearing that story be recounted to her father and her brother. Um, God saying, I knew you were going to do that because I know what kind of heart you have. And that, you know, is something for us as well, oftentimes, knowing, you know, she desired to do good and then hearing that God saw that and had shown it uh, to him that servant of Abraham. Sometimes the, Lord, sometimes the Lord shows things to others around us. We're just serving the Lord. We're just doing it as unto him. And sometimes people see it. And sometimes it gets back. And it's, it's not, not necessarily gratifying for any pride's sake, but it's pleasing to know that the Lord knows and sees what we do as unto him and that he gets all the glory. And we're just serving him because we love him. And that's what happened with Rebecca when he, she sits and listens to the servant account, give an account for all that happened. Now there are those, you know, sometimes the, there are people that want to take advantage of another believer's servant heart. And, um, you know, she had a brother and a, and a mother that uh, wanted to kind of hold out for a little bit of gain, remember? And yet um, they knew her well enough. They knew her heart well enough that they let her choose. So she was the one that chose of her own free will to go with the servant to be the bride of Isaac, a guy she never met. And um, she was the one that had such a great comfort. She was such a great comfort to Isaac after he had lost his mother. We read about that. Isaac obviously loved her greatly because it says she not only, he not only prayed for her, because she was barren, but pleaded with the Lord. Isaac indeed loved um, Rachel. And uh, then she conceived, but there was trouble. But she's a believer. She goes out, she gets away, and she goes to seek the Lord about it, inquire of the Lord. And God tells her, there's two nations in you, and they're struggling within you. And God tells her, you know, one is going to be stronger than the other, and the older is going to serve the younger. Now, she loves Jacob and finds out Esau has despised his birthright um, when Jacob, you know, uh, made that offer to, to sell or to buy the birthright for a, for a, a bowl of stew. And... Um, Isaac, you know, simply loves Esau, his firstborn, as far as Isaac knows. And again, apparently not knowing what God had told Rebekah. Remember when uh, the Lord told her that, that uh, you know, while she was still pregnant. And apparently Isaac never got to hear that because here's Isaac now expecting to bless uh, Esau. Esau is a hunter, brings home game for food. As far as Isaac knows, he's the one that God would bless. 
Now this is that blessing, that firstborn. We talked about it, the one that opens the womb, the strength, the vigor, the beginning, the best choice, the bloodline for the descendants, and the blessing of the seed that God promised Abraham. All the things that go with that birthright, Isaac is thinking that's Esau. He's my firstborn. So nevertheless, here's Esau. He's grievous. We read about that to both Rebekah and Isaac all along because he goes and takes wives from the Hittites, from among the Canaanites of the land. Now Isaac knew Abraham had sent his servant to go and find a bride for him in Haran from his own household and specifically not to take wives from among the Canaanites and the nations because God would remove them from the land and give his descendants the land that God had promised. So verses 6 through 17 is um, when she then plans what to do about all this. She knew something Isaac didn't know. And um, I don't know if it even occurred to Jacob to do all this, but Rebecca hears what's about to happen, and she may think that she never could convince Isaac what the Lord had told her, and now here she is all those years later, and they're in their old age, and Isaac is about to bless Esau, and she knew. So when Isaac asked Esau to bring some game, he said, if it pleases you, Esau, bring some game. But when Rebekah speaks to Jacob, she says, obey my voice, my command now. She tells Jacob what she heard Isaac say to Esau, and now knows she must make Jacob do this to keep the word of God. And uh, he told her about the older serving the younger. And she figures out a plan. She cooks the meal. He brings the goats and puts the skin on his hands. They got it all worked out. Jacob's worried that Isaac's going to find out, and he's going to um, you know, you know, basically curse him now. Well, you're trying to deceive me, Jacob. What's going on? He's worried about it. But Rebecca said, let the curse be on her, right? And, um, but, she, but she knew. How could she take that risk? To her, it wasn't a risk at all because she knew what the Lord had said to her. She knew that the older would serve the younger because God said so. It really wasn't a risk to her. Um, she trusted God, and it's very likely because that's why she loved Jacob. That, that, you know, she told him what God had said when they were born because Jacob had already bargained, right, for the, for the birthright. It was valuable to Jacob. It was important to Jacob. Esau, remember the story? He couldn't care less. He was, uh, he treated it as nothing. In verses 18 through 29, when Jacob goes to Isaac and he brings the food, um, you know, it says he deceives him and yet receives the blessing. In, uh, he went to his father and said, My father, here I am. Who are you, my son? Now, if this was Esau, it would probably be like any other day. There's no, you know, who are you? He'd recognize his voice. Um, not sure why he didn't recognize Jacob's voice. Um, right off the bat said, Hey, Jacob, how you doing? But he didn't. And he says, Who are you? So Jacob says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. In 20. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found out so quickly? Isaac knows something's a little bit off here. 
um, you know, he's old and he's blind, but something's not quite right. He's picking up on it. First of all, supper came early. You know, we all kind of have our clocks on our day. We kind of know when it's supper time, and if it's even 15 minutes earlier, we're kind of going, something doesn't quite feel right. But, uh, you know, and so anybody kind of knows that there's kind of certain times of day, and, and it kind of struck Isaac odd that uh, supper is showing up a little bit early. So he had to ask, what was different? You know, he says, who are you? How is it supper time already? Are you really my son Esau? And then three times, Jacob lies outright. Yes, I am Esau. That's a lie. I've done of you told me, arise and eat. How is it that you found it so quickly? Because the Lord your God brought it to me? That's a lie. You know, he went and fetched the kids and his mom made the, the meal. Um, and then 21, Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, come near that I might feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. And so there's just all kinds of things falling apart here for Jacob, and yet he just kept plowing through it. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, felt him and said, The voice of, is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his, eye, his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And then one more time he says, Are you really my son Esau? And he lies again and says, I am. And they said, bring it, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. And so he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine. You know, Isaac blesses Jacob, thinking it was Esau, but it's Jacob. And he blesses him with the blessing of the firstborn, blesses him as if he were the eldest, and he, uh, he the one with the birthright. And this was important to Isaac, just as much as he knew that was passed on to him from Abraham. So, again, Isaac must have never been told about um, Esau selling his birthright. When you think about it, there it is right in the household going on. Esau comes in from the field and is hungry and just basically treats his birthright as nothing. Now, Isaac is never told, probably because Esau is not about ready to be willing to admit to his dad that he thought so little of the birthright, knowing how important it was to his dad. And Jacob's not about to tell Isaac, his father, what he did to trick his brother to get the first, uh, the birthright, to get the, the blessing passed on to him. And this was important to God and to Abraham and to Isaac that these blessings and these promises of God would be handed down from generation to generation. Well, going back, we'll kind of review a little bit what was this blessing. And uh, if you want to flip back to Genesis 12, we'll just go through what we've read over the past few months um, or a few weeks. And we'll see just exactly what that blessing was. Because it, there's some similarities. talks about a few things. First of all, you'll recognize it when he says in, in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, says, I will make you a great nation and bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we recognize that from when Isaac did bless Jacob. He says, I will curse those 
or I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And, um, and, and then notice it's God saying, I will, I will, I will. It's the Lord who's going to make this happen. It's the Lord that's going to accomplish these things, and it's all upon him who's going to fulfill that promise and that covenant. In Genesis 17, just a page, page over, uh, verses 16, and then also verse 20, talking about blessing Sarah. I would bless her and also give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations, of kings and peoples shall be from her. And in verse 20, though for Israel, I have heard you, behold, I'll bless him, make him fruitful, multiply exceedingly. And he begat these 12 princes and made him a great nation. He blessed Sarah, but the blessing through Isaac was also to Sarah. A child will be born to her in her old age. And then another two pages over to Genesis 22. It says, Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. Notice that's again what he said to Jacob. You know, you are going to possess the gates of your enemies. Um, and that's kind of a little bit in contrast to Esau. Esau is going to have to live by the sword, whereas Jacob is, uh, possesses the gates of his enemies. You know, he, he already has, the Lord has given, them, given him that rest where he has, uh, has possessed the gates of his enemies. Now, in 26, just last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the land. In verse 3 and 4, he says, Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I'll give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth earth." will be blessed, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so all these are the blessings of God that, he, that is being passed down to Jacob. He says all the, the descendants, the provisions, the land, the defeat, and the subjugation of, or the subjection of their enemies, he will possess their gates. Only Isaac can pass this on because Abraham passed it on to him. In verse 4 of 27, it's only Isaac that can do this. But notice what he says. Um, that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now look at what Rebecca says in verse 7. He says, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. You know, when it's recounted, Rebecca knew that this was something that the Lord had established for Jacob already. And it was prophesied to her. He had already told her the older would serve the younger. God had literally chosen Jacob, and she knew it. And Jacob will become Israel, and the father of the Jews, the, the, uh, the Hebrews, and um, uh, the father of the Israelites. Now Peter, if you want to turn to Acts... Three starts talking about this when he was in in the third 
chapter of Acts, you know, they're still witnessing in Jerusalem to the Jews. Um, the word, there were those in, in from all parts of the area, but the word had not necessarily gone out to the Gentiles. But just to notice a few things about the blessing in Acts 3, just 11 through 13. Now, as the, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Well, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or our own godliness that we made this man walk? No, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined when, uh, to, to let him go, when he's determined to let him go. And so he's talking about, this is the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's Jesus. And in verse 25 and 26, he says to him, you guys are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, notice this, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Peter confirms this to the Jews with a miracle, and only God can do this miracle to make a blind man see, and he points, or the lame man walk, and he, and he points to Jesus, saying, it's not of ourselves. This is the God of our fathers and the one that he has sent, his son Jesus. Now he says, but he also reminds them when he says all this, that this is going to bless all the families of the earth. And that includes the Gentiles. For us Gentiles, this is our salvation. Our salvation is in Jesus. Our salvation is in that seed, the one who turns us away from our iniquities. And Galatians 3 if you want to turn over there, uh, verses 5 through 14, Paul does the same thing. uses the miracles that were performed to bring these guys around to what they should be thinking of. And, and you know, Dwight and has been spending time here. He went through this on Sunday as well and um, kind of fits hand in glove a little bit what we've been last few weeks. But in uh, verses 5 through 14, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore now know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then those who are of the faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law, they're under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who doesn't get it all. Continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them all. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. 
Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs under the tree. But notice verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul, like Peter, points to the miracles that were done. Only God can do. How is it received? From what we read? By faith. When is it received? When we believe. How do you know? Well, in chapter uh, 3, verses uh, 26 through 29, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the what? The promise, right? How do you know? Because God promised. How is it done? By faith. When is it done? As soon as you believe. How do you know? Because God promised. You know, if you've been waiting for an invitation, here it is. Um, Believe. Put your trust in Jesus. He will turn you away from your iniquities, it said, right? In in Acts chapter 3. We read how in Him, you are sons and daughters of God, the one who is the firstborn, the heir of all things, all blessings, and eternal life then we also are Abraham's seed according to the promise of God in Christ Jesus. Let your faith always be based on that finished work of the cross. You know, don't put trust in your own works, not keeping of the law like, like Peter says. It's not of our own righteousness. It's not of our own godliness. And he says, let your faith always trust, always being in the finished work of the cross And that's where the blood of the spotless Lamb of God was poured out for your sins when Jesus suffered and died in your place. You know, you can a lot of people say they know Jesus. A lot of people say they got you know uh, religion. They talk about Jesus. They got the Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter Day Saints. It's not the same Jesus of the Bible. It's not the one who is the Son of God from the Father, without um, sin who's with the Father from all eternity, and he's the one that he sent. He's the one that shed his blood, and he rose from the dead. And uh, you know, he's the, the Jesus of the Bible. He's not the same God as Allah, so that you can have Chrislam, and those that say that, oh, it's all the same God, we just have our own different path, how to get to him. You know, that's not the same God. And so if you're talking to people about Jesus, it's the one who you put your trust in. Not the one you just say, oh, I believe Jesus. You have to put your trust in him. And you have to acknowledge that it was on the cross that the work was finished. And um, it could only have been done, and he rose from the dead. And it could only have been done by him, the Son of God. And forever he's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us on our behalf. Amen. Genesis 27, back there in verses 30 through 40. Isaac blessed Jacob, um, but as soon as Jacob goes out and gets around the bend, then Esau comes in with his fresh-cooked game, 
And it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. He scarcely gone out for the presence of his father. Esau came in from his hunting. He also made the savory food, brought it to his father, and let my father arise and eat, son, his son's game, and your soul may bless me. And now Isaac says, well, who are you? And so he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Isaac. Verse 33 says, then Isaac trembled exceedingly. And he said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate of all of it before you came. I'm stuffed. I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Isaac hears his voice, but doesn't understand why he'd be bringing more food or who this is that's bringing this next round. So he asks who it is. Now he wants to know who this other guy was who'd come earlier. And notice he says, this cannot be revoked. It's done. I have already blessed him. There's no way to change this. It was done because it was done in the presence of the Lord. And Isaac says, indeed, he shall be blessed. This is a big deal with Isaac. You know, he is shaking. He is trembling exceedingly. It's done. Esau is crying out bitterly, raising his voice, screaming out loud, you know, just weeping for Isaac to bless him. And it's just hopeless. Uh, he can't do anything about it because the Lord was present when he blessed Jacob. And Isaac knows that if, if God would not have been the one doing this to allow Jacob to be blessed, then it wouldn't happen the way that it did. The Lord wouldn't allow Isaac to be deceived if the Lord wasn't in it. And all of this takes place. And uh, Isaac is deceived, but yet he blesses. And he blessed in the presence of the Lord and that's the way God had intended it. And we only know that because of what he told Rachel. I'm sorry, what he told Rebecca. So Esau says, Jacob's his name, rightly so. He supplanted me. And he's basically confessing to Isaac now. Here's Isaac hearing for the first time, probably, that Esau sold his birthright not you know, a few years earlier. And Isaac probably didn't even know that about Esau. And here he is, confessing. Now it's the second time, Dad, that Jacob has tricked me, supplanted me, took my place, took what was rightly mine. And, and uh, you know, it appears to be the first time that Isaac had ever heard this. But Isaac confirms it to Esau and tells him, you know, you're going to serve your younger, your younger uh, brother. Esau, still weeping, asks Isaac to bless him. Also, and it doesn't say that Isaac now blesses Esau. It just simply tells him what the situation is going to be for him. He says he's going to be dwelling in the fatness, fertility of the earth, and the dew of heaven. But he's going to be by the sword that he's going to have to live. In other words, there will always be this threat of fighting and struggle. And he would indeed serve Jacob until he breaks his yoke. Um, and again, this is not just for Esau, it's for his descendants. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy, when Moses is bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and they're passing along, you know, they had been wandering 40 years because uh, of their unbelief and much of those who had been uh, in disbelief and brought a, back, a bad report back had now died in the desert and so they're done going around the mountain, and they're starting to come up towards the promised land. And so verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, 
It says, Then we returned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, and as the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. And the command of the, and command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land, no, not as much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. And you shall buy fruit from them and with money and you, that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. God gave Esau land and enough abundance that he's able to sell to others passing by. And now they watch as Moses takes the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, up to the promised land. But the birthright, the blessings, the promised land, the seed, the inheritance of Abraham and Isaac before the Lord would not be Esau's. It would be Jacob's. In verse 41, you know, Esau realized us. He cried out, going back to Genesis, he cried out, greatly and bitterly wept before Isaac for any blessing at all, and Isaac couldn't give him one. Verses 41 through 45, it says, Esau hated his brother because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my mother are at hand, and I'll go kill my brother Esau. In the words of Esau, her older brother, her older son, were told to Rebekah. Esau hated Jacob. And just as Jesus said, that hatred in your heart is the same as murder. He hated him, and he had it in his heart that as soon as he sees him, as soon as he gets the opportunity, he's going to take him out. And indeed, hatred is murder, just like Jesus said. You know, it's something you don't want to hang on to. The Lord says, don't let your bitterness or your anger you know, don't let the sun go down on it. You know, you wake up the next day, you haven't dealt with it, you haven't sorted it out, and it sits and churns. And the next day you wake up and it's got all the more, you know, bitterness to it that you just keep on churning it over, rolling it over in your mind. It's just not worth it. It chews you up more than it chews up the person you hate. They don't even probably know about it until you up and try and kill them or, or you know, badmouth them or whatever. You know, Jesus says it's the same as murder. And so Esau hated Jacob, and indeed Esau said in his heart that he would kill him. Now Rebekah talks of Esau's only comfort being that he would kill Jacob for this. And she talks about his fury, talks about his anger. In Hebrews 12, we went through this passage up to verse 16 um, two weeks ago, but now we come to the part where Verse 17 applies. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. He says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. It's not just between you and that person. Eventually, whatever you're dealing with, spreads around and a lot of people get damaged by it 
when you're hanging on to hatred. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Now that's what we saw in uh, chapter 25. But look at verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing now, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. The first thing I see in this, uh, you know, Jacob's deceiving Isaac and taking Esau a blessing, it was because Esau despised his birthright in the first place. You know, Esau, or, uh, Isaac didn't know it, but um, God saw to it that Jacob would get that blessing. He even told Rebekah again at, at the birth of the twins, God is loving, God is gracious, God is merciful to all that would call on him. And so to me, this passage is terrifying that there is somebody who's seeking repentance with tears diligently and it's rejected. He can't find a place for it. This, this verse has bothered me, um, you know, when, when I allow it to. And yet, the truth of it is, he already despised his birthright. He already sold it for, for a bowl of soup. Um, why would you know, God do that? There's no place for repentance. He's not accepted. Why would God do that? Well, he does. You know, he doesn't do that in Jesus. If you look at verses 18 through 29, following up that verse, it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and a, that's burning with fire, into the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was being commanded, that if so much a beast touches the mountain, it would be stoned or shot with an arrow. It was so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and, a trem and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, he says, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, for those for the whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Let uh, once more I'll shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we have are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God is a consuming fire. Esau sought repentance with tears, and he found no place for it. He was not accepted. What does it say? God is a living God. God is holy. God is judge of all the earth. When he speaks, the earth shakes. He's a consuming fire. Don't be playing around with this, with Christianity, with faith, with your eternity. It's serious. 
There are plenty of jokers and mockers out in the world and they'll be judged at his appearing. They'll be destroyed. The Bible talks about being sober-minded and reverent with a godly fear when it comes to our acceptance in him. And we are partakers of his kingdom, it said, right? And though, And through his grace, it says how we are to come. In the context of Esau, it says he was profane. That word profane means someone to be trodden down. In other words, get him out of my sight. Now, a fornicator also, it says of him, um, and in the context, it's, you know, where he would have rather taken his wives from the surrounding Canaanite uh, people rather than keep himself for what God had promised. You know, he sold his birth. He didn't, he didn't regard any of this, any of what God was doing through Abraham and Isaac and, and the seed. Esau had no regard for that. And so God calls him um, profane. He despises birthright. And again, we looked at what despised means. It means to hold it in contempt, disdained, regarded it as despicable, vile, and worthless. He's talking about his birthright. Now this kind of helps me with some other verses that I've struggled with. And I think uh, a lot of people do because there's still a lot of disagreements or, or different views on some of these verses. But I kind of think this helps a little bit because here's the truth about Esau. You know, he had no regard. He just, he treated it with, with you know, as worthless, this birthright. Um, if you look at Chapter 6, Hebrews 6, we're looking at just verses 1 through 8. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, and what he's doing is talking to the Hebrews, and, and he's told them about these things, and he wants to, to go on to something more mature. He wants to give them meat instead of milk. He says, let's go on to perfection. Not laying, again, or completeness or maturity, he's saying, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. We know that. And of faith towards God. And the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are the fundamental things. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word from God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him into open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. That word impossible means impossible. It doesn't mean difficult. It doesn't mean unlikely. It means it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Now, the word enlightened is it's made evident and they've understood it. The word tasted there means they've tried it out. They've perceived the flavor of it. They know what it tastes like. Partakers means they've shared in what the Holy Spirit was doing. That's, that's all, you know, not born again by the Holy Spirit. 
Um, it means that they're in the thick of it. They're around it. They see it. They even see the power from eternal uh, things. And they've tasted it. And they saw of that power of the age to come. But if they were saved by faith in the finished work of the cross, and then they fall away, and now that word fall away means deviate from that only path to God, well, then their faith was no longer in that finished work. And then it says it cannot be renewed and there would be no fruit, he talks about. So it's impossible to come to God in any other way than through the cross of Jesus Christ. You're not going to finish that work. You're not going to complete uh, what was done any other way. You're not going to get, nobody, you can't, no one comes unto the Father except through him, he says. Um, now some, there, like I said, there's disagreements on what this means. Um, they saw firsthand the power of the age to come. How can they turn away and say it wasn't good enough or there's got to be something more? They must not have seen what salvation was, but there was no more than Jesus Christ. He was crucified once for all. It is finished. There is nothing more anybody can do. Some may say that they were never saved, and maybe that's true. If you look to verse 9, it says, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, and though we speak in this manner. So he's talking to those that are saved and that, that he's confident of them. And God's not unjust um, to forget you know, their work and labor. So he sees in them salvation. He, he counted them saved because of their fruit, and it keeps with salvation and where they had put their hope and where they had put their trust. And he tells them then to have a full assurance to the very end. You know, for God is uh, uh, not unjust to forget your work and labor of love in verse 10, which you have shown towards his name that you have ministered to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end, that you don't become sluggish and imitate those who through faith and patience and but, I'm sorry, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, there's only one unforgivable sin. And we know and see all over the news the worst of the worst. And we can't imagine how that's being done to people and that person is not absolutely doomed. But there's really only one sin that's unforgivable. And that's just unbelief. That's not trusting in Jesus Christ. That's leaving him like Paul's talking about here in Hebrews. You know, um, there's what's the blessing from our Heavenly Father for you and I, for believers? You know, Abraham, the land, the promise. Well, the blessing for us, remember, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The seed, who is the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, the one that... that you know, crushed the head of the snake in the serpent in the in the garden, that seed that was promised to Eve. And as we followed it through, the promise, the covenant, always has to do with the seed. And and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. It's in him that his covenant is with us. His promise is to us. That's the blessing we have from our Heavenly Father. So what does it mean when they fall away? If you go to Hebrews chapter 10, and hopefully we can wind up here a little on time. Again, we're, we're tackling some 
heavy, heavy Bible verses. To me, it seems uh, terrifying to think that here's Esau pleading, and yet he has no repentance, and he's rejected. And here we have those people who fall away from the one true gospel, and it's impossible for them to be restored. What does that mean? Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it's written of me, to do your will, O God. Now, previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law and then he said behold i have come to do your will o god so he takes away the first that he might establish the second and by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all the book of hebrews in context is paul writing i believe it's paul this is not necessarily mentioned but enough is said about him or about things that, that he also went through. So anyway, leaving that to another time, I believe the context of all of this is Paul is writing to the Hebrews, the Jewish people. They're trying to stay under the law. They're trying to figure out how can we keep doing the law when here's Jesus. He's replaced all of it. And he's explaining to them that he is now the mediator. He is now the completion of all the law. No more need for sacrifices. What did he say? I don't have any desire. Uh, there's n no pleasure in offerings and sacrifices. You know, um, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter in the holiest of holies, you know, you cannot get back to God through the law. Remember the Galatians, Dwight's been teaching through that. That's what they were trying to do. They started out in the Holy Spirit, and they're trying to get back and finish up keeping the law with their own sweat and tears. And um, this is the difference. This is the difference between those who have the Lord Jesus Christ and those who are falling away, those that are seeking to come to God a different way. Don't return to the law. Paul is saying you cannot, you know, if you do these things, it's impossible for you to come back because you're substituting the only way with something that, you're not going to get back to God, in other words, through the keeping the law of Moses. And uh, that's what he's saying. There's no, there's no returning. God has no pleasure in burnt offerings and you know, sacrifices for sin. Um, we have entered, again, verse 19, by the blood of Jesus, but down to verse 26. It says, For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, now, when he's talking about sinning willfully, that's when he, he's talking about in context here, people going back and trying to get under the law, people trying to, again, return to the law of Moses. That's the sin, that they're willfully now turning away from Jesus Christ. And he says, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries, anyone who has rejected Moses' law, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, well, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy 
who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulting the Spirit of grace. Who does that sound like? Isn't that what he says about Esau? He treated the, the birthright as nothing. He treated it as worthless, vile, and useless. And so this is what, what uh, Paul is saying here. But notice it says, a fearful expectation of judgment. Isn't it something? So many churches these days, uh, denominations for the last 2,000 years, you know, or from the time that they were joined up to the, the, the community and the government and things like that. What's the motivation? Fear. This certain fearful expectation because they've got them keeping laws. Can't eat anything but fish on Fridays, for one example. But there's lots. You've got to do the... You've got to have communion. If you're not, you're not saved. You've got to get baptized as, you know, when you're eight days old or you're not saved. You know, they put these things in, in a form of religion. They put these things in a form of law. No. It says believe first, then be baptized. You know, when, when he taught baptism, it had to do with not removing dirt off your skin, not getting wet. It has to do with what you're testifying before people that you are surrendering your life. You're going down in, and when you come back up, you come back up a new creation in Jesus. And it's an example of that. It's a picture of that. It has nothing to do with the water and, and all. So, um, But he says there's a certain fearful expectation. Um, I always think of when I was in Haiti uh, you know, long, quite a while ago, I think 15 years or so it's been, um, I'm sitting trying to figure out Haiti is, is 90% Catholic and 95% voodoo. I'm going, how is, that's not enough math. How is Catholic, you know, well, the truth of it is the Catholic Church allows the voodoo ceremonies to take place in their buildings. And how can they do that? Well, they're based on the same thing. They're based on fear. Voodoo, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, if you don't, you know, whatever their rituals are, I don't want to go into the details, it's just, just wrong. But you have to do these things or you're going to, you know, you're going to get cursed. You're going to have, you know, things happen to you. Uh, they'll come to you at night. And, and uh, people do and are possessed by demons, oftentimes through voodoo. And they do the craziest things. And there's evidence of it in Haiti. How does that get along with Catholicism? It's based on fear. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do what the priest says. The, the Pope is the presence of Christ on earth, and whatever he says is holy scripture. That's not true. That's, and, it, and it's based on fear. If you willingly sin in that way to reject Jesus Christ and leave off the simple gospel, like he says here, the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice. You've given up the one thing that is the only sacrifice, our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Esau did? He despised the birthright as a worthless thing. His sorrow for what was his sorrow was for what he had lost, not why he lost it. He despised it, and that's how he lost it. He knew what the birthright was, and it was sold for a meager bowl of stew. Those that reject Jesus' finished work on the cross and go back to the Mosaic Law and attempt to atone for sin, they trample, just like Esau treated as vile. They trample. 
the Son of God underfoot, counting him worthless. That's what he says. You know, um, you know what is that falling away and that willful sin to reject Jesus' sacrifice for your sin? And the life of a believer is a marathon with hills, valleys, and sometimes a stone or two that may trip you up and cause you to stumble. Well, when you start coming back to the Lord, you've got to realize, you know, we don't want to come back in any other way than through the cross of Jesus. Don't trade your Savior for a meager, meager bowl of stew of unbelief in the finished work of the cross, thinking that there's something you've got to do. You know, it's a, it's a marathon. The way Chuck Smith put it, he says, if, if, it were so, if you were so hard-hearted and calloused as to reject Jesus' love and mercy for you, well, then you wouldn't be any, un, under any conviction or feeling any remorse at all. Um, the fact that these verses that we're talking about tonight are, are terrifying is proof that your heart's desire is to know righteousness. It, your heart's desire is to, you, you are seeking righteousness. Um, people backslide. And Satan loves to make them absolutely sure that they have sinned the unpardonable sin, that they have fallen away and that it's impossible for them to be brought to repentance. And like Esau, it's impossible. The blessing's been given. It's too late. No, if you backslide, again, the only unpardonable sin is unbelief. If you backslide, just come back to Jesus. Come back through the cross. You know, don't backslide in the first place while we're sitting here talking about it. But if you find yourself in that place, you know, don't let that condemnation uh, come on you that says there's no way that God could ever love you again. Yeah, no, his love is eternal. And how many of your sins were yet future, future when he died on the cross? Well, I was entirely yet future, and therefore all my sin was yet future. There's nothing I can do in the future unless I turn completely and discount the blood of the Lamb as a worthless and useless thing and trample on the Son of God. You know, um, hold on to your righteousness that you have in Him. Don't hold on to your own righteousness. Don't hold on to your own goodness. You know, hold on to that. Hold on to Him. And, um, you know, you are right with God in Him. One last couple of verses here in, in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? Is he faithful? Yeah. We're living in these days. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, Lord, so much. And words do fall short. Um, Lord, I just pray your word, as we see it on the pages for ourselves, would just go deep in our hearts and bear fruit. 
and that you would comfort us. And Lord, you'd be drawing back those that are wandering. Lord, and that you would be uh, making them aware of your sacrifice for them, that they could put their trust in you. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.